We're continuing this morning in the sermon series through the book of the Acts, the book of the Acts of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles. And we are in chapter 2. This will be part 1 of a number of sermons in chapter 2. So we're just getting started in Acts chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to read, first of all, verses 1 through 12, and then uh, I'm going to jump to the conclusion of Peter's Pentecost sermon at verse 32 through 36. Let us ask the Lord, whose spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Scripture, now to breathe upon us afresh to give us spiritual wisdom and insight to illumine the eyes of our hearts that we might receive his word spiritually, believe it for the building up of our souls to live for his glory. We are dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit as we read, proclaim, and hear the Word of God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise that you have not left us to ourselves. You have not left us as orphans, but you have sent the Spirit to us, the Spirit of truth, We thank you for the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who empowered the apostles to write your holy word. And now we ask the blessing of your Spirit upon us for the opening up of our eyes spiritually and our minds and our hearts. We pray that you would unstop our deaf ears and empower us to receive your word the word of the living God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ the Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. You remember that Jesus, after his resurrection, prior to his ascension, instructed his apostles to remain in Jerusalem until the day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them. And so we come now to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the apostles, together with the other believers, that company of about 120, which is mentioned in chapter 1, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because... Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. At this point, at verse 14, we read that Peter addressed the crowd and preached uh, a sermon to them all, which he concludes at verse 32, and here is the central point, when he, after speaking of Jesus' crucifixion and burial, he says at verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. As I begin this sermon, I am well aware that as soon as I say the word Pentecost, a myriad of thoughts and questions and interpretations might immediately rise in your minds and in the minds of those who are watching via the live stream. So I'm going to begin with some very basic biblical information in order to get us all on the same page, so to speak. And remember, this is only part one. There's more to come. Acts chapter 2 records an extremely important historical event which occurred on the day of Pentecost following the crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven of Jesus. What happened on that day of Pentecost in Acts 2 is integrally connected to part and parcel of Jesus' great work of salvation for us. Here's the point. It was not just some miscellaneous, extraneous, miraculous phenomenon 
which just happened to happen to the apostles and the other believers. No, no. This Acts 2 Pentecost was a link in an unbreakable chain of events inseparably linked to one another. The life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost. All one great work of salvation for our, for our salvation. You've got to see it as a whole. A little history. From the days of Moses, let's say 1,300 years or more before Jesus, the day of Pentecost was an annual Jewish feast instituted in the Old Testament ceremonial law. It was an agricultural feast. It was there, as it were, Thanksgiving Day. And in the Old Testament, it was called the Festival of Weeks or Feast of Weeks, which is a Hebrew way of saying a week of weeks, <laughs> which is a Hebrew way of saying seven weeks. Because it was observed and celebrated 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover. Passover, the, the, the Sabbath of that week, 50 days, is the Feast of Pentecost. And it's that 50-day time frame which gives us the Greek New Testament word for the feast. Pentecost. You know, a pentagon has five sides. Pentecost means 50th day. The 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover week. Now, do a little math with me. Do a little thinking with me. In the case of this Pentecost in Acts 2, what had happened... What had happened seven weeks before on the preceding day of Passover? The Passover lamb had been slain. Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath. Start counting on day one, Sunday, resurrection day. Forty days later, Jesus ascended into heaven. Ten days after that, on the 50th day, the ascended Lord Jesus Christ poured out the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and the other believers in Jerusalem to empower them as his witnesses, just as he had promised. What happened on that Acts 2 Pentecost was integrally, inseparably, necessarily connected to the preceding events of Jesus' death, resurrection, burial, and ascension into heaven. It was the evidence, as Peter says, that God had raised Jesus from the dead, vindicated him as the Messiah, the Christ of Israel, 
and given him the power and the authority to pour out the promised gift of the Holy Spirit upon his believers, his church, his new covenant Israel. And thus, the era of the new covenant through Jesus Christ was publicly revealed and began in earnest. It was history shifting. It was the, it was, although there was you know, stages along the way with the coming of Jesus, here with the coming of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon God's people, the new covenant era was in force. Okay, let's look at the text. When the day of Pentecost arrived, remember, annual Jewish feast day, they, the apostles and the other believers, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek, the word for wind and breath and spirit is the same word. In Hebrew, it is ruach. And in the New Testament Greek, it is pneuma. You know, a pneumatic tool. Pneumatic tool is air-driven. Right? And pneumonia is a disease which affects your breathing. <laughs> Wind, breath, spirit. And throughout the Old Testament, like for example in the, the prophet Ezekiel chapter 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones, you can make, just make a note about that and look at it. The word for wind and breath and spirit, it's all the same Hebrew word, but it's translated differently um, because there's a play on words there. Wind and breath are images or symbols of the Spirit of God. You remember that God breathed, breathed the breath, the breath of life, the Spirit of life into Adam's nostrils, and he became a living soul, physically and spiritually. You remember when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about the need for every person to be born again, Jesus said, listen, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going, so it is with everyone who is Born of the Spirit. So you see the, the sound of this mighty rushing wind from heaven was a sign of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit being breathed out upon the apostles and the other believers. Likewise, fire is also a symbol of the presence of God. You remember, for example, God's appearance to Moses in the burning bush that was not consumed. God's presence with the Israelites, signified by the 
pillar of fire which accompanied them out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and then the appearance of the glory of the Lord which was like a devouring fire on the top of Mount Sinai. The fact, you see, that this fire from heaven appeared as tongues upon the believers indicated that the fire, the firepower of the Holy Spirit, God's presence would empower the believers to proclaim the gospel with great effectiveness. And indeed, Luke tells us, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, Luke then immediately tells us that there were in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And what Luke means by that is from every nation of the known world, every nation of the Roman Empire. That every nation under heaven is a figure of speech. All the known world, all Jews from the known world were gathered, Jews from all over the known world were gathered in Jerusalem. And Luke is referring to Jews, and he mentions also Gentile converts to Judaism, who were dispersed and living all over the Roman Empire. Now the the point here, the biblical theological point here, is that these Jews from all over the known world represented the scattered people of Israel, the scattered nation of Israel, who were to be regathered, brought home from that scattering, and be reconstituted as a renewed Israel through the Messiah as had been prophesied in the Old Testament, bringing the scattered people home to the Messiah. Well, they were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. It was required of Jewish males to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Probably many, maybe most, if not all, had been there for Passover just seven weeks before, and had heard about or had actually seen the crucifixion of Jesus and had approved of it. But the amazing thing was that these men from the furthest reaches of the east and west and north and south throughout the Roman Empire suddenly heard these apostles and the other believers proclaiming the mighty works of God that is, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in their own tongues, that is, in the native languages of the various places in which they lived. The other tongues spoken by the apostles here in Acts 2 were not unknown tongues of an ecstatic, incomprehensible language, but rather were the known languages of the various nations represented in Jerusalem that day. So you have these Apostles and other believers there in Jerusalem, Jews who spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, they were suddenly proclaiming the gospel in the language, the languages of Persia and Mesopotamia and Arabia and North Africa and Asia Minor and Greece and Rome and all points in between. You see, this miracle was the first step 
in the fulfillment of the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations through the preaching of the gospel for the redemption of people of every tribe and tongue and nation. So it begins here in Jerusalem, just as Jesus said it would. These Jews from all over the world said in amazement, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? There were some who mocked the apostles when they heard these various languages, probably those who lived in Jerusalem and didn't know these other languages, and accused the apostles and believers of being drunk. Nine o'clock in the morning, highly unlikely. But Peter then stood up and addressed the crowd, telling them that what was happening was a fulfillment of a prophecy given by Joel. I will read just a, a portion of it. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter's primary point in this passage and throughout the sermon as we read at the conclusion It was that the miraculous power to proclaim God's word in the various languages of the world was the evidence, the proof that Jesus, raised from the dead, exalted at the right hand of God, had poured out the Holy Spirit to enable the believers in Jerusalem to prophesy. That is, to speak forth God's word, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for the ingathering, the harvest. Remember, Pentecost is an agricultural harvest festival. For the ingathering, the harvest of men and women throughout the world. Peter boldly proclaimed, This Jesus God raised up, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And he concluded by saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Bold preaching in Jerusalem. And Luke tells us they were cut to the heart by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Many who heard it were cut to the heart. Now that in itself is the work of the Holy Spirit. To be cut to the heart is to be circumcised in the heart spiritually by the Holy Spirit. They were convicted of their sin. They turned in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ and were baptized and were incorporated into the new covenant Israel. That is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. 
to accompany the preaching of the word so that it becomes effective for the conversion of unbelievers into believers. They were cut to the heart, circumcised in their hearts. The Holy Spirit was writing the law of God upon their hearts, changing them from the inside out. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This was another promise of the new covenant. Listen, for example, to Jeremiah. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, a promise of the new covenant. And Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel 36. That is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and conversion. That is what it means in Jesus' words to be born of the Spirit. It is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit accompanying the gospel of Jesus Christ which gives a new heart and a new life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And so Peter proclaimed that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And no one calls upon the name of the Lord in true faith apart from the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us that those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That is, again, the work of the Holy Spirit to apply the accomplished work of Christ to our lives to make the saving work of Christ in history a reality in our lives and thereby to build up Christ's church by the preaching of his gospel throughout the world, throughout history, until he comes again. Now, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. But we say... He died for me. How does that work? Jesus rose 2,000 years ago. But we say that his resurrection gives us the victory over death. How does that work? Jesus ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago, but we say that through him our citizenship is in heaven. And in fact, we are seated together with him in the heavenly places. How does that work? All of that is true. But how is all of that true? It is true because the Holy Spirit transcending all time and space now at work in this era of the new covenant, under the kingship of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit transcending all time and space brings us to Jesus Christ and brings Jesus Christ to us. 
It is true because the Holy Spirit transcending all time and space brings us to the cross and brings the cross to us and emblazons it upon our hearts. It is true because the Holy Spirit unites us with Jesus Christ so that His death is our death and His resurrection is our resurrection and His ascension into heaven is our ascension into heaven because in union with Him, all that is His is ours through our bond of faith. And that bond of faith, our union with Christ, is itself the work and the gift of the Holy Spirit. A supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever let anybody tell you, I sometimes tire of hearing it, that Presbyterians don't believe much in the Holy Spirit and don't speak much. And There's a reason for that, and it's a misguided and a misinformed reason. We are all about the Holy Spirit. You've heard this from Calvin. Hear it again. Quote, As long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him by 2,000 years, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Let me read that again. As long as Christ remains outside of us and we're separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to, for us. It is by, Calvin continuing, it is by the energy of the Holy Spirit that we come to enjoy Christ and all his benefits. It is by the energy of the Holy Spirit that we come to enjoy Christ and all his benefits. The Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. That's the new reality of the new covenant which has come into the life of the renewed Israel, the church of Jesus Christ. By the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the effects of that outpouring continue today as the gospel is being preached. In, think of it. In union with Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. By our union with Christ through the Spirit, we are somehow, beyond our comprehension, lifted up into the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. It's marvelous. Now, I want you to think about this. The Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christ mean the same thing. Hebrew, Messiah, Greek, Christ. They mean the same thing, which is literally the anointed one. And that refers to being anointed with the Holy Spirit for a special purpose or to fulfill the responsibilities of a particular office. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant era, 
The anointing of the Holy Spirit was given to the Israelite prophets who spoke the word of the Lord, to the Israelite priests who ministered reconciliation between the Lord and the Israelites through sacrifices, and to the Israelite kings who ruled over and protected Old Covenant Israel for better or for worse. So in the Old Testament period, the anointing of the Holy Spirit was primarily reserved for the prophets, priests, and kings of Old Covenant Israel. But now, in the New Covenant, it has been fully, clearly revealed. Jesus, Jesus is the prophet the living embodiment of the Word of God. Jesus is the great high priest who offered up himself as the true sacrifice for sins and serves as our mediator in heaven. And Jesus is the eternal king, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, who rules over all. And therefore, Jesus is the Christ, the one anointed with the Holy Spirit beyond measure, Christ Jesus. And what happened on that day of Pentecost in Acts 2 is that Jesus, the Christ, poured out his anointing of the Holy Spirit upon all his believers, all his people, common people, ordinary people, male and female, young and old, so that all his new covenant people, his church, his reconstituted, renewed Israel would share in his anointing with the Holy Spirit. And that, by the way, is the reason that believers in Christ are called, you got this? Christians. Because we share in the anointing of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He has anointed us with His Spirit so that as His witnesses, we will be empowered to live as prophets, meaning those who speak the word of the Lord written in Scripture and rightly apply it. Priests, meaning we are those who offer up our lives as living sacrifices and also minister the grace and mercy and peace of Christ to one another as his people, his priesthood of believers. And kings, meaning those who by the power of the Spirit conquer the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are those over whom sin, death, and the devil do not reign, have no dominion over us, and who as kings and queens under King Jesus will reign with him forever in the world to come. That's the reason we're called Christians. Because we share in Christ's anointing with the Holy Spirit to live as His holy people, His prophets, priests, and kings 
upon the earth. And it applies to all believers in Christ. And to all who will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, come to believe in Christ until he comes again. He has not left us as orphans. He has promised and fulfilled his promise to pour out the Holy Spirit upon his church. And so we ought always to pray, come Holy Spirit. Come and give life to the dead. Give the gift of true and saving faith in Jesus Christ to those who walk in darkness. Come, Holy Spirit, open the eyes of the blind that they may see the glory and grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and effectually call lost people out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with new power so that we might live more faithfully, more joyfully, more courageously, more cheerfully in this sad and hostile world. Come, Holy Spirit, revive the church of Jesus Christ. Renew our faith. Fill us with joy and peace and hope in the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of our culture falling apart. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with love and joy and peace and hope and power so that we might live as the citizens of heaven upon the earth and be more than conquerors through the love of Christ. Give us power in word and deed that all the world may know that Jesus Christ crucified and risen is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we, we thank you that you are a God of promise and a God who keeps his word. And we give you thanks that we may call upon you and trust you for the power that we need to live in this world today. And we pray that by the power of your spirit within us, we would indeed live as more faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ here and around the world. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered on Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the